0: Hello, and welcome to Settle the Stars. Hey folks, this is Rachel Emerson. From Athena to Aphrodite to Hades, Hercules, Hermes, and jolly old Zeus himself, the most famous characters from Greek mythology have tended to be women and men, immortal or otherwise whom we readily relate to right down to their very candidly portrayed flaws. But one of the all-time most popular and most beloved characters in Greek mythology is not a man, but a horse, that majestically winged steed, Pegasus. Pegasus has endured through time as a symbol of purity, bravery, strength, inspiration, and freedom, and has repeatedly popped up in modern retellings of myths he's never set a hoof in in Greek antiquity. Such is the appeal of this happening equine. And yes, he even has his own constellation. The Pegasus constellation occupies a region in the sky populated by characters that all relate somehow to the hero Perseus, including Perseus' wife the Princess Andromeda, her mom and dad Cassiopeia and Cepheus, and the sea monster Cetus, who lives in the ocean next door to them all. In fact, these constellations, along with a few others, are referred to as the Perseus family of constellations. We'll explore how all these characters intertwine in future episodes on the Perseus fam. But Pegasus only ever crossed paths with Perseus himself, and even then, very, very briefly. While the 1981 Ray Harryhausen classic Clash of the Titans shows Perseus riding Pegasus into battle against the Kraken, the two only met once according to Greek mythology, the day of Pegasus' birth. For a horse, Pegasus came from a rather unusual lineage. It all began for everybody's favorite winged stallion when the sea god Poseidon seduced a beautiful maiden in the temple of Athena. There were probably better places in ancient Greece the two of them could have chosen, but then there wouldn't be a story, would there? Outraged over what had happened in her temple, as anyone would be, Athena had harsh words for Poseidon, who was a fellow god and therefore not the best target of her mighty wrath. The maiden, on the other hand, was a mere mortal and an absolute perfect recipient of wrath. So Athena turned the locks of the young woman's hair into hissing serpents and made her face so hideous, one glance would turn any potential admirer to stone. That's right, that maiden was Medusa. Sometime later, a young fellow by the name of Perseus found himself and his mother, Danae, under the protection of King Polydectes of the island of Seraphis. King Polydectes wanted Danae for his wife and knowing that her son opposed the marriage, decided to send Perseus on a one-way errand to bring him back Medusa's head. The fiend had been turning all the Greek heroes to stone anyway, so may as well send her someone he didn't like. After loading up a veritable arsenal of magic items to aid in his quest, including winged sandals from Hermes, a super durable satchel, an invisibility granting helmet that was worn by Hades that one time the Titans tried to storm Olympus, and the bronze shield of Athena, which she was more than happy to lend on this particular occasion. Perseus had everything he needed to get down to Gorgon slaying business. Now Medusa had two sisters, Sthenu, and Urile, who had also been turned into snake-haired monstrosities by Athena simply for being related to Medusa. Man, things were harsh in ancient Greece, weren't they? Perseus found all three gorgons napping together when he stole into their cave. He used the reflection in Athena's shield to draw near to them, lest one should suddenly open her eyes and turn him to stone where he stood. Upon reaching the dozing fiends, Perseus lopped Medusa's head from her body and snatched it up in his satchel. Sinu and Urile immediately flashed awake. Oh, and these two eat men, by the way. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. So not liking the looks in their eyes and the reflection of his own shield, Perseus slapped on his invisibility helmet and dashed out of there on Hermes' winged flip-flops. Okay, so what does any of this have to do with the flying horse? Well, when Perseus lopped off Medusa's head, a crazy thing happened. It turns out Medusa was pregnant with Poseidon's children, and in that moment, young Pegasus and his brother, the flying boar Krasaur, and that's boar, B-O-A-R, not B-O-R-E, just for clarity, they both emerged from the gorgon's severed neck. I mean... Okay, let's be real for a second, Perseus probably didn't need the invisibility helmet to get out of there. The sight of a madly whinnying horse flailing its front hooves in the air while trying to squeeze out of the beheaded Medusa alongside a winged boar would probably have distracted the gorgons for at least like a second or two. Pegasus' manner of birth actually wasn't all that uncommon in Greek mythology. You might recall the episode where Zeus got a migraine one afternoon and then suddenly baby Athena punched her way into the world through the top of his head. Totally normal, that's just how people were born in ancient Greece. Oh, and and horses, uh, apparently. Pegasus only ever saw Perseus in that fleeting moment when Perseus was scrambling for his life and Pegasus was springing free from Medusa. So in case you're wondering, yes, Perseus did return home to deliver Medusa's head to King Polydectes, face forward, handily turning the king and his whole entourage to stone. While Pegasus never accompanied Perseus on any future adventures, nor Hercules, as Disney would have you believe, he did go on to have quite an adventurous life. After his tumultuous birth, Pegasus was led by Athena to the serene Mount Helicon to be placed into the care of the Nine Muses. One of the Nine, Urania, the Muse of Astronomy, was particularly fond of the young steed, she predicted quite rightly that he would one day have his own place in the stars in his sprawling narrative metamorphoses the poet ovid wrote a dramatic contest that occurred during pegasus time on mount Helicon. the nine daughters of king pieris who were known as the pierides who were overly confident in their vocal abilities brazenly challenged the muses to a battle of mics in an ancient greek precursor to pitch perfect replete with smack talking and plenty of shade thrown in all directions. You knew things were not gonna go down well when the Pierides opened with a number on the epic battle between the giants and the gods, extolling the giants and completely trashing the gods. Urania dubbed their performance the work of quite noisy mouths. Oof, dis. Needless to say, the Pierides lost the competition. I mean, come on, just look at who they were going up against. For daring to challenge the Muses, having no class, and just being generally bad at singing, the Pierides were turned into screeching magpies. The singing of the Muses, on the other hand, was so totally boss it caused the waters within Mount Helicon to swell with inspiration. Thinking fast, Poseidon ordered his equine son to gallop all over the mountain. When Pegasus' hooves knocked the earth, they set free great flowing springs, and it was said that anyone who drank from them was inspired to write heavenly poetry. Yes, Mount Helicon was kind of a paradise for young Pegasus, but his time with the Muses came to an end when Athena encouraged another hero in the making to enlist in the aid of the winged stallion. Enter Bellerophon. Bellerophon's life took a similar trajectory to that of Hercules. After accidentally killing his brother, the young Corinthian was sent to King Proteus to seek pardon for his offense. Bellerophon was pardoned and all was good for him again. That is, until Proteus's wife, Cynabia, began to fancy their young houseguest and made a move on him. Bellerophon was having none of that. In retaliation, the rebuffed Cynabia accused him of trying to violate her. Not wanting to cause a scene on his home turf, Proteus handed Bellerophon over to his father-in-law, King Iobates, who ruled Lycia, an area we know today as the Mediterranean region of Turkey. Iobates was thrilled to have a young hero-type at his literal disposal since Lycia was currently being terrorized by a ferocious, fire-breathing monster known as Chimera, which was one major lion, one major goat, one major serpent, shaken well, and then served with a blood-curdling scream. En route to face the Chimera, Bellerophon stopped by Athena's temple to pay tribute to the goddess and spend the night there. Athena came to him in a dream that night and instructed him on where he could find a majestic winged stallion and how he could tame it. When he woke the next morning, Bellerophon found a golden bridle resting beside him. Later that day, saddled with the golden bridle and in the company of a new master, Pegasus embarked on the first of what would turn out to be many adventures with Bellerophon. Bellerophon flew the brave steed to the hill where the Chimera had strewn the bones of the Denzians of Lycia. He tried swooping on the beast with his spear, but Pegasus was repeatedly forced back by the intensity of its fire breath. Finally, Bellerophon came up with an idea. He found a block of lead he could skewer onto the end of a spear, and he hurled it down the fiery throat of the Chimaera, where the lead melted and suffocated the beast. All of Lycia could breathe a collective sigh of relief. But, as with Hercules and his twelve labors, King Iobates wasn't about to let Bellerophon off the hook so quickly. He subsequently sent the young man and his winged horse after the Solyamene, a fierce tribe of warriors that had once occupied his land and that now resided in the mountains to the north. Then it was the Amazons, whom Bellerophon defeated by hurling boulders from astride Pegasus on high. After finally attempting to ambush Bellerophon with his own army unsuccessfully, while the hero was busy fighting a pirate for him, Iobates gave up and welcomed him into the fold by way of marriage to his second daughter, Philonoi, which very awkwardly made him in-laws with Theenobia. I'm sure the holidays were really fun. Seeing as Bellerophon was pretty much unbeatable, that pirate didn't stand a chance by the way, he decided to retire from being a hero and give hubris a try. Mounting Pegasus one final time, Bellerophon set out for Mount Olympus to try to seize for himself a place among the gods. Having never cared for the hubris of mortals, Zeus sent down a gadfly to cause Pegasus to buck the hero from his back. Flying into battle against the Chimera is one thing, but no horse, not even of godly lineage, is going to mess with the gadfly. Bellerophon fell back to Earth, but Pegasus kept on and he received a warm welcome when he arrived to Mount Olympus. Zeus liked Pegasus so much, he made him the official stallion of the chariot that carried his thunderbolts. Some accounts state he even rode into battle with him. After many years together, Zeus finally gave Pegasus a place among the stars as the muse Urania had foreseen long ago.
1: I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places—Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan— We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian, Rana Mitter, joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? then the sleep cove podcast can help you hi i'm christopher fitton the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind sleep cove sleep cove features sleep hypnosis meditations and bedtime stories all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep search for sleep cove on apple podcasts or spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply, all night long.
0: The constellation of Pegasus is the 7th largest in the sky and can easily be seen from August through December and especially during evenings in October. You can identify the constellation by the four bright stars that make up the asterism known as the Great Square of Pegasus. If you're able to find Polaris, the North Star, you can draw a line straight east through the star Calf of Cassiopeia to land smack in the middle of Pegasus' Great Square. The square represents the upper half of the horse's body, with the lower half nowhere to be found, Perhaps the Greeks simply imagined the winged equine joyously springing to life from Medusa's severed neck. The other interesting detail about this constellation is that, as with Hercules and a few others, Pegasus is portrayed upside down. The four stars of the great square include Alphirats, Algenie, Sheet, and Marcap, with only the latter three technically belonging to Pegasus. Officially, Alphirats now belongs to neighboring Andromeda, Though historically, the star was shared by both constellations. Alvirats forms the upper left corner of the square and is both the brightest star of Andromeda and the brightest star in the asterism. The upper right corner is the second brightest star of Pegasus, the orange-red giant Sheet, which revolves some 196 light-years away. Positioned where Pegasus' front legs begin, Sheet is appropriately named after the Arabic word for upper arm. Though the star is nearly 100 times the radius of the sun, and 1,500 times more brilliant, its surface temperature is unusually cool at about three-fifths that of the sun's. When asked for comment, Sheet replied, damn straight, I am unusually cool, and whipped on a pair of sunglasses. Moving clockwise, the lower right corner of the square is Pegasus' third brightest star, the blue giant Markab, located about 133 light-years away arabic for saddle of the horse mercab sits right at the base of the mane in the horse's upside down portrait just three times the mass of the sun mercab is destined to dwindle down to a white dwarf one day rather than explode in a spectacular supernova a fate it shares with every other star in the asterism the final star in the great square and the fourth brightest of the constellation is the blue white subgiant Al-Janeb. arabic for flank Algernab lies toward the back of the horse and is the farthest from Earth of the four stars in the Great Square at a distance of 390 light years. Pegasus' brightest star, the orange supergiant Enif, provides the horse his muzzle. Suitably enough, Enif is Arabic for nose. In addition to being the brightest, Enif is also the most distant of the constellation's major stars at a whopping distance of 690 light years. Though it's nearly 12 times the size of the Sun and 5,000 times brighter, it's unclear if Enif will go supernova a few million years from now, or if it will join the members of the Great Square in turning into a white dwarf. Of Pegasus' remaining stars, the most notable is the very sun-like yellow-orange dwarf, 51 Pegasi. 51 Pegasi was the first dwarf star that was found to have its own planet. The exoplanet was discovered in October of 1995 and was nicknamed Bellerophon before being formally named Dimidium, which is Latin for half, on account of the fact that the planet is very nearly half the size of Jupiter. Dimidium orbits very close to its star, reaching copper-tone necessitating temperatures of 2,200 degrees Fahrenheit. It orbits so closely, in fact, it completes a full revolution in just four days. In 2019, the Swiss astronomer who found 51 Pegasi's planet, Michael Mayer and Didier Kalos, received the Nobel Prize in Physics for their work, which has since led to the discovery of more than a thousand such exoplanets. In 2015, 51 Pegasi was finally granted a formal name of its own, Alvidios, in reference to the term the Romans used for the people of Switzerland. Though not necessarily the most luminous of Pegasus' stars, Helvetius, or 51 Pegasi, as it's still more commonly referred to, is just 50 light-years away from us and visible to the naked eye. Much deeper into space, the region of Pegasus offers astronomers any number of far-off galaxies to study. Five of these make up what's known as Stephan's Quintet, a group of visually closely compacted galaxies that was discovered by French astronomer Edouard Stephan at the Marseille Observatory in 1877. In popular culture, an early photograph of Stefan's quintet stood in for the talking angels that respond to the Bailey family's prayers at the beginning of the 1946 holiday classic, It's a Wonderful Life. The group is technically a quartet since the brightest of the five galaxies, NGC 7320, is just 40 million light years away and nowhere near the other four, which are 280 million light years away. They just happen to sit in the same line of sight. The more distant four, which are known as Hickson's Compact Group 92, will likely merge at some point in the universe's ongoing evolution. Stefan's Quintet was one of the first areas of space to be photographed by NASA's new James Webb Space Telescope this past year. Using its near-infrared spectrograph and mid-infrared instrument, The Spaceborne Telescope captured the remarkable views of a dynamic environment where shockwaves spread through colorful swirls of cosmic dust and gas as the result of one of the galaxies, NGC 7318 b, crashing through a great star cluster. Pegasus has no shortage of intriguing galaxies in its vicinity, including giant elliptical galaxies that are currently in the process of merging and galaxies with vast halos that were formed by obliterating and assimilating other smaller galaxies over time. There's also the Fried Egg Galaxy, which is primarily notable for looking delicious and having a fantastic name. Very near to Mercab, in the lower right corner of Pegasus' great square, you'll find the Propeller Galaxy, a long and narrow spiral galaxy that spins counterclockwise in the shape of a backwards S. Curiously, the galaxy also has a strong radio jet that spins in the opposite direction from its stars and space debris, which astronomers think might have been set in motion when the galaxy merged with another galaxy however long ago. This crazily spinning galaxy was also host to two recently discovered supernovas, one in 1990 and the other in 2009 the debris of which is being put to good use in the formation of any number of new stars another astronomical curiosity that lies in the direction of pegasus takes on the appearance of a great blue kaleidoscope far off in space the phenomenon known as einstein's cross radiates from the active galactic nucleus of a different kind of galaxy a very young one known as a quasar which stands for quasi-stalar radio source. The light from the young galaxy's core is distorted by the strong gravity of another galaxy that sits in front of it, which is known as Huckra's lens after the American astronomer who discovered it in 1985, John Huckra. In accordance with the principles set out by Einstein's model of spacetime, the intense gravity of Huckra's lens causes the quasar behind it to appear duplicated four times in the approximate shape of a cross. Hence the name Einstein's Cross. Huckra's lens is about 400 million light years from Earth, and the quasar it lenses for us is about 20 times farther than that. So, as intriguing as it sounds, you'll have to rely on photographs from NASA to appreciate this multifaceted gem and stick to searching for the outline of the mythical half horse among the stars. From his memorable birth to his fondness of springs to his bravery in the face of so much danger, there is plenty to appreciate about the splendid stallion they call Pegasus. The next time you're under a clear sky on a cool autumn night, see if you can't find the four stars of the great square and from there the mighty hooves of the horse stretching far across the heavens. Seeing the noble beast for yourself, you just might catch a bit of the inspiration within his famous springs. Thanks for joining us on Settle the Stars. In the meantime, happy terraforming. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit Airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows, like Big Picture Science and Everything Everywhere Daily. Thanks for listening.
1: Tech moves fast.